You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome to The Worship Review. This is a podcast where we evaluate the music that's being sung in the church. In particular, we evaluate the lyrics and the words. And I am Colin. I am a history professor at a large research university in the Midwest of the United States. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tyler. Hi, I'm Tyler. I'm a linguist. Indeed, you are a man of few words for (laughs) being a linguist and an aspiring academic. Today, we are going to be looking at the hymn, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, by Chris Tomlin. We are going to give a quick summary of what the song is about and what happens in the song. Then we're going to get into some specific lyrics, and then we will end by talking about the song's clarity, its coherence, its comparability to previous versions of this hymn, because we're looking at redone hymns on this series. If you want to uh, hear our thoughts on some contemporary Christian worship music, you can go back to the first series. And then we'll give the song a rating out of five. And the criteria for that rating is a mystery. I've got my criteria. Tyler's got his. We'll find out whether they're funny or not, or interesting, or... Probably not funny. No. Awkward. Awkward. Probably awkward. Yep. All right. So, Tyler, let's get things kicked off. Uh, What's the song about? What happens to the song? Just give us a little summary of what's going on. Definitely. This is probably the most well-known hymn in the English-speaking world. If you ask non-Christians, even maybe people who have barely, maybe not even set foot in a church, you, you'd you ask them, like, name a worship song, name a Christian song, they would probably say Amazing Grace. My chains are gone! No, they wouldn't they would say that. They would probably think of no. Amazing Grace. No, they would think of Amazing <laughs> Grace. That's what they'd, because it would be, you know, it's like a national anthem. Mm-hmm. It's sung that way, right? In mm-hmm. secular contexts. That's true. So this song is about one person's journey from being a wretch to being saved, from blindness to sight, from being lost to being found. The reflective song focuses on the grace of God, which is doing most of the action in this song. So grace saved me, so it's Mm. in the first person, singular, Mm -hmm. and taught my heart to fear and relieved my fears, Mm -hmm. somewhat perplexingly, right? We have Mm -hmm. these two different interactions with fear. The Lord has promised good to me, and his word is what secures my hope. Mm -hmm. And the Lord will be my shield and portion as long as I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in the the extra lyrics that have been added by Chris Tomlin, we also have the idea of being ransomed. So God has paid for us Mm -hmm. in some way, rescued us by paying for us. So God is doing a lot of the work here. He is doing it to... An individual, so there is a kind of individual experience here. I'm not critiquing that. I'm just saying that that exists, and it's worth noting. Even the sound of Amazing Grace is sweet to the ears of the 
individual singing the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Um, we have this change of state in the first verse, right? I once was lost. That was my state. That's fixed. Mm-hmm. But now am found. Same with blindness. Was blind, but now I see. So... Mm-hmm. This is a huge metamorphosis that's happened to the person uh, singing the song. Yeah. Although, wretch seems to be a continuous state. Hmm. He doesn't say, I was a wretch. says, a wretch like me. Very good, I am yes. a wretch. That's Present true. tense. That saved a wretch like me. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, necessarily. No, no, uh, absolutely. We, I think most Christians... We continue to... Would acknowledge I'm yeah. still, uh, in many ways, wretched yeah. and in need of sanctification, not justification, but sanctification. Yeah, Yeah, that sanctification doesn't happen upon justification, that justification happens first. That is, we are given a right standing before God legally, but the change that happens in our disposition towards sin and righteousness, this is a change which occurs over time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, we are eventually made perfect as Christ is perfect, mm-hmm. but it doesn't automatically come. No, it's hard fought and yeah. hard won. So we do remain in some ways a wretch because we are prone to wander, as another hymn says. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and the second stanza has this delightful, almost paradoxic couplet, right? Grace taught my heart to fear and grace relieved my fears. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That is such an uh, it's a line I've sung many, many, many times, obviously. I have not thought about it. Mm. And I found it very strange. So we've got fear as something that grace teaches my heart to do, but then it is relieved also by grace. So grace is both teaching fear and relieving fear at the same time. Mm-hmm. What is going on there? Uh, grace teaches the heart to fear in that uh, we see and per- we perceive God's grace— and I think we can reasonably expect that to inspire in a person who is taking account of what's going on a reasonable fear of God in mm-hmm. that we would say, you know, wh- what mercy is this? What goodness is this? What power is this mm-hmm. that uh, God would uh, forgive my many sins? I'm a wretch after all. And yet, grace relieves our fears in uh, assuring us of God's goodness, his steadfastness, mm-hmm. his unfailing love toward us, uh, and his promises that we have in Scripture that uh, he will, he has redeemed us by Christ's sacrifice, and 
he will Christ will come again for us uh, to take us home to glory with mm-hmm. him and that all things must work together for our good mm-hmm. as we are in Christ so i was i was thinking about that this kind of paradoxical part of the second verse i was wondering what sort of particular theology john newton had because another way you could interpret that is by only by the grace of god do we comprehend our sin so grace actually taught my heart to fear the judgment hmm. of god but grace uh, the grace of god also relieves my fear of judgment and the reason i suspect that that could be an interpretation is that as the line continues he describes when that that particular grace that does that appeared it's the hour i first believed so he's describing the conversion experience and he was a slaver <clears throat> then uh, had a had a complete 180 both in terms obviously of his conversion to faith but then also in his views about slavery and became a real abolitionist mm-hmm. and advocate for the ending of of slave trade i don't think he's necessarily being autobiographical here but he's describing what happens at conversion we have to realize that we have sinned before god we have to realize that our sin deserves punishment and that causes us to fear mm. but it's that but the same grace that gives us the true knowledge of our sin also reminds us that Christ has forgiven our sin. That happens at the moment of conversion. Of course, that continues to happen in the Christian life. There's a a great saying that I have heard which is for every one look we take at our sin, we should take 10 looks at Christ. As the Christian every time we gaze upon our sin, we realize that we're a wretch. We have the privilege of calling upon the grace of God and looking at what Christ has done and and taking and owning that and possessing it and rejoicing in it. And I just wonder if that sort of sentiment is what's behind this second stanza. It certainly does make sense in the context of the second half of the verse because presumably well not presumably a reprobate has no fear. Yeah, of consequences. They're sinning sin. recklessly and heedlessly. Right. Right. They they actually they if because if they truly were brought to understand, if they really understood the judgment that they were in for, right? You'd be terrified. Yeah, exactly. I see. Yeah. And yet as Christians, we, the fear of the Lord we know is the beginning of all understanding, yeah. and we are to fear not the one who can destroy our lives on this planet, but mm-hmm. the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, right? So that's yeah. the Lord God. So some some element of fear is warranted for yeah. the Christian, uh, fear of God, yes. not fear of anything else. Yeah. Um, and it's admirable because this is a sentiment that is really lost in a lot of contemporary Christian music, the notion of fear, the notion of judgment. Even reverence. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think Christians sometimes are too quick to go to fear as reverence. There is certainly plenty of scope in the... I mean, in certainly in the Septuagint, often fear is translated not as awe, reverence is translated as phobos, 
Mm. It's translated as terror. As, yeah, terror um, when describing God. So there is a sense in which part of the Christian experience, part of the, especially the conversion experience, rests upon the realization of what our sin merits. Mm. This may just be a trend in the English language. I don't know if you knew this, but awe originally meant terror. It meant yes. fright. It meant fear. It's so like a word like words, awesome. We have words like awesome yes. alongside words like awful with yes. the same origin. Yes. Where awful awful meant it is full of terror. Yeah. Even awesome actually used to have yes. that connotation as well. So, like, yeah. Like you would describe a tornado as awesome, but now we describe food as awesome. Guys on skateboards doing 360s. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, so it, this may just be a, a weakness of our language, yeah. um, but certainly something that we'd like to keep in mind. But it's neat. I think it's a really neat stanza for that reason. Mm-hmm. It, it, in just a few words, it really captures important ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and also the, the teaching of the heart to fear, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a process as well. Yeah, right. Um, no, because it's as didactic. Yes, because of course as we become sanctified, we learn more and more how great our sin is, hmm. right? It's we actually don't when we first become converted, the irony is that fear that get the the the, the sin that gets us to fear is actually just the tip yeah. of the iceberg, right? Because as yeah. we carry on, we haven't even thought about our pride yet. No. <laughs> no. Like yes. Right? I mean, yeah, the weight of, the weight of sin, and that's the mercy of God. Right? It is. If, if we could see at the moment of our conversion how utterly depraved yes. we were, I think we might just despair. Yeah, without the grace of no. God. But as God continues to teach us about our sin, He continues to sanctify us and help us to realize how wonderful and great and all encompassing His grace is. Mm-hmm. Right? He He guides us in that faithfully, so that yep. we don't despair. So in uh, the third verse. We have God's word being a promise, mm-hmm. which secures my hope. I, I quite like this wording. What God has promised me will come to pass. And the reason I know that it's true is because God said it. Mm. Right? So that is a remarkable thing to mm-hmm. say. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. If we think about a song like um, King of My Heart, right, we have, you're never going to let me down because you are good, right? And so that's whatever letting me down looks like. We've already talked about that. Um, We have assurances because God is good, right? But here we have, I think, something even stronger. So yes, God is good. But this is going to come to pass, and I know that that's true because God said it. Yeah. Right? That is remarkable. I almost wonder if some of our criticisms of the songs that we did on the first series would make more sense if we had done the hymns first, because we, we would be able to see how some of these things are done right and the difference, mm-hmm. right? And especially for listeners who, for the most part, only sing contemporary Christian music and may not have heard a lot of these hymns, they're probably thinking, like, why are you why are you criticizing this this good song? But when you when you see it done really well, as we're seeing it done in this third verse, 
Mm-hmm. You, you, the deficiencies in, say, a song like King of My Heart are a little bit more apparent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Mm. Right. So even by maybe liberal estimates of generations being 20 years, it's been, what, a hundred since Christ? Yeah. And so this obviously isn't meant to be taken literally. No, it's just meant to say... It's a big number. Yeah, exactly. It's meant to wow us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's awesome. It is, it is, yes, it is awesome <laughs> that God would uh, maintain his steadfast love yeah. and faithfulness to us for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that his word is what secures our hope. Uh, and he'll be my shield and portion. So this is, I think, a reference to two different psalms, but two very beautiful mm-hmm. uh, scriptures. So Psalm 119, 114 says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And Psalm 16, 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Mm-hmm. So this third verse knocks the scriptural references out of the park, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really good really good to be my shield so that's a defense from any arrows that might come my way yeah. my portion right the lord is my portion and my cup um he's he he is what is allotted to me yeah. he is what will sustain me yeah yep it's good um it ends with as long as life endures um which in a sense is slightly incomplete because it is true Sure. Beyond that as he well. He will be our shield and portion. In- but I think we can cut the song a, a little bit of slack because it's, it, again, it's clearly not saying that this suddenly ends because we have further verses in the original, yes. which describe what happens after death. Which have been conspicuously omitted. Yes, which are not present in this mm-hmm. song, the in this version. The... the Parts of the song which most reference death in John Newton's original song are gone. So we don't necessarily have that context in this song. So when in the original he's saying, um, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. Now it makes sense why he would say, um, he's my shield and portion as long as life endures. Because we're not going to have snares in heaven, right? We don't need to uh, uh, assert that as, as boldly necessarily. Yes. Whereas this, I, I will say, just strictly based on the words that I have in front of me, yes. Chris Tomlin's version, we don't end up getting the the complete the complete thought for as long as life endures. Like it could end there because mm-hmm. we don't have a picture of. We have a little picture of eternity in the last line, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. But that doesn't necessarily imply a specific situation in heaven. And in fact, in some ways, and this is not just true of Chris Tomlin's version, it's true of John Newton's version, I will say his, I don't want to say eschatology, but his his view of what happens after this life or perhaps this era is a little bit questionable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't know if we want to get to that now, or we'll we'll get to it in a little bit. If you have any more yeah, thoughts on this, I don't this want stanza. to knock the song on what it doesn't take from the original, but I would encourage all of our listeners to read all of the stanzas of the original yeah. hymn because there's some very. 
prominent ones that are missing. Yeah. In this so, uh, for example, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. John Newton is not talking about his house. He's talking about his home being with, with God in heaven. Uh, and Another he, thing that we see later on in, in the hymn. Yes, in his version. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. So again, clear reference to death. And the original song seems to be aimed at not just changes that occur in this life, but that there are consequences eternally in heaven, afterlife, to the, you know, because of conversion, where whereas the Chris Tomlin version, those aren't so much there. Colin, I have never thought of that as an interesting thought. Because frankly, I don't think I'd ever considered the prominence of conversion yeah. in this song, like you have with the uh um, second the second fears, verse. Yeah. Right. Even the People who added in the mid-19th century the probably one of the most famous verses in this, which was not original to John Newton as far as I know, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Uh, They seem to know that that was appropriate to add because of what John Newton has been alluding at. Hmm. But Chris Tomlin also omits that stanza as well. Yes, and he doesn't only omit, he also adds things. Yes. He adds a refrain. Yes. Shall we talk about that refrain? To hymns is quite interesting. Hymns typically don't have refrains like this. This is a common way, by the way, of doing an adaptation in the last 30 years or so. It is for Christian artists to keep most of the stanzas, but then add some kind of a of a refrain, and Chris Tomlin is no exception to that. We'll look at other songs where where artists have done that in this series. I should add, for some of our listeners, uh, we've gotten some feedback that refrain is a little bit jargony. So refrain... Oh, chorus. chorus. Yeah, something repeated in between stanzas or verses. Yes. Chris Tomlin does not only omit things, he also adds a chorus, a refrain. Uh, my chains are gone... I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns. That's R-E-I-G-N-S. Unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a So many questions I would like to ask about this one. Can I ask, Tyler, let me start with asking, why is mercy like a flood, and why does a flood rain? This, Colin, is what I think we would call a mixed metaphor. (laughs) Um, So... Here's I'm going to be generous. I'm going to try and be generous. Listeners, please criticize me harshly. Um, floods are uncountably big. 
Okay. Yeah. Floods come, we can't search them. Many waters. So many waters. So his mercy is like a flood in that it is uncountably vast. Okay. His mercy reigns in that it, it is ruling over my life, right? I was a wretch, and it has taken me and saved me. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. And his mercy has been the ruling agent in my salvation. Mm. But this line says, like a flood, his mercy reigns. So it's like, it's saying that the reign of mercy, his mercy is like a flood. So I, I'm yeah. trying to wrap my head around what that means. You almost wonder if it would have been better if he had just used the homophone reigns, R-A-I-N-S. <laughs> I mean, that would, there, nothing would change about how the song is sung. You would just change the official lyric to be consistent with the kind of watery metaphor of flooding, right? So you can you can even envision this, right? It's no longer a mixed metaphor. His mercy starts raining and raining and raining until there's floodwaters just overflowing the earth. Sure, it's a little bit sloppy maybe as a metaphor, but it's at least consistent, right? Yeah. I have a I have a very speculative theory Please, as I, a songwriter and based on what I think you and I and everybody can reasonably imagine happens in productions like this, where a song is written by a songwriter, it goes to some producers who maybe make some adjustments. Flood is the thing that I don't understand in here. So you have a line that says, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. That's a very specific reference to Christ, right? Ransomed. That is Clearly a reference to Christ. I think it has to be the atoning yes, ransom. Yes, it's about atonement, right? But then suddenly we get the word flood, and like a flood, his mercy reigns. But mercy also can be a reference to um, what we receive because of Christ's death on the cross. We receive mercy. We receive the forgiveness there, right? I wonder if instead of flood, at some point the word blood was in this line, and that that was too much. Bloody. Yeah, that was too much for, because this this song is clearly marketed at a broader audience. It's, it was attached to a film uh, about uh, William Wilberforce, and the, the music video clearly had a lot of money spent on it. Uh, the whole The whole thing strikes me as a kind of, we want this to be as broad as pot. It's a very po- the most popular song possible, and I wonder if Chris Tomlin, at one point, had had the word "blood" instead of "flood," and he still needed it to, and he just sort of switched out something that rhymed with it, and that maybe there was some because of ransom, blood, and mercy. Now that is a to- that is totally speculative. And I'm sure Chris Tomlin will never hear this and be able to let me know. But Chris, if you're if you ever listen to this, please let me know if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, fine. But I would love to know if I'm right about this. Nothing 
would validate Colin's <laughs> ego more than knowing if he's right about this. That's true. But this is interesting. I hadn't I, I I see the connections to Christ tying it to blood conceptually. But what would the line have been? By his blood yeah. his mercy reigns? By his blood, through his blood. I mean, like a flood rhymes with by his blood. Mm-hmm. It reigns over our sin. It it causes us to be under Christ's reign. It, it, to be into the brought into the kingdom of his mercy, as it were, you could think of it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it makes a bit more sense. Yeah, it's a decent speculation. I'll yeah. say, fair. Okay. Um, I have some curiosities about the chains being. Yeah, gone. there's the other part of the refrain. We did the last part first, but what about the first part? My chains are gone. I've, I've been, been set, set free. free. My, my God, God, my Savior. Savior has ransomed me. So. The first half of that is what I'm curious about because the second half of that is quite clear. Yeah. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Fine. Christ has ransomed me. Um, the original hymn does not mention chains, slavery, or liberty uh, yeah. at all. So this is an innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, probably an interpretation of the first verse, right? The I mentioned early on the transition from blindness to sight um, from being lost, lost to being found. And I think that this songwriter, if it's Tomlin, has inferred from that that we can also say that we've been set free. Yeah. Right? Slaves to f- being free. Yes, which is why it would be used in the yeah. Amazing Grace movie. Yeah. Uh, which is funny to say, actually. Yeah. Um, Not exactly a cult classic. No, no. I I saw it and I recognized some B list actors that. Okay, I've never seen. I didn't even know it existed. No, no, I I hadn't seen the movie. I saw the music video. Oh, and I okay. recognized some B list actors that I'd oh, seen really? okay. some things, and I thought, what this looks like a very professional music video. Yeah, because you know it, it switches from him in ripped jeans at a piano that's been you know yes. overgrown by moss and ivy and carved into with some nice words to these very professional Victorian era. Mm-hmm clips and I was trying to figure out how they fit together, but the movie mm-hmm. makes sense of that. So um, I'm trying to piece together this chains being gone, being set free argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to reconcile it with scripture, right? Because because Romans opens with Paul Dulos. That's right. right? <laughs> Paul, a yes. servant of Christ Jesus, a slave of Christ yeah, Jesus, slave, bond slave. called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Um, Galatians two twenty emphasizes that our um, independent agency is uh, after we are in Christ uh, gone. So uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, these are not the words of an autonomous, free person. Right. And yet, Galatians seems to imply this. And I, we, I've seen Christian worship songs, Christian praise band songs that um, emphasize this opening line of Galatians 5. Um, it is for freedom yeah. that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we have to ask ourselves, well, Christ is setting us free from something. What is that? And in order to understand that, I think we have to go into context. 
Uh, and so preceding that, he's referring to falling back into slavery under the law. Yeah. And he Galatians points, 4, right? Yeah. The latter half of Galatians 4, he's talking about Abraham's two children, right? Mm-hmm. Ishmael by slavery, right? By Hagar and Isaac by the spirit, yeah. right? By Sarah. And it seems that what he's saying is we have to live by the spirit. We have to walk by faith and not justify ourselves by our works because that would be falling back into slavery, which is why he's railing against circumcision and stuff there. So, um, Yeah, if we're a slave to the law, we... We have to be accountable to the entire law. Yes, in which case we will perish. Right. So what... So is is there something more to be said for this line than the cynical, this had to fit a movie about Wilberforce? You know, there's this there's this point in scripture when a couple of apostles are have are imprisoned and have their chains removed. Mm-hmm. Potentially, it could reference that, but it, it it seems to be referencing atonement or you know the ransom. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's just put in there to also hint at the, the slave the issues of the slave trade, which were important both in John Newton's life and William Wilberforce's life for the film. Yes, yeah, it's just one of these problems that we have as a historical problem because if you're if you're if you're talking about this if you're talking about freedom now, freedom now just means something completely different than what it meant even just a few hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, even 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 when people were writing the constitution to the United States and they're talking about freedom they're meaning liberty rather than like license, you know, or a kind of autonomy or a kind of, even now you have like freedom from objective reality, freedom from your own genetics is something that is even advocated now. So, I mean, these, these sort of radical fantasies about freedom that we have now um, make this word a bit more, problematic to use without some explanation. So after that passage in Galatians that is often quoted mm-hmm. um, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians five seventeen to 18 says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. Yeah, good. That is what freedom in Christ looks yes, like. Yes, um, Because that would be a form of slavery. Yes. Slavery to the flesh. Yeah, exactly. So now again, we're kind of use where I think we're riffing on this more than the song the song merits. Like just because Chris Tomlin uses my chains are gone, I've been set free. You know, I, I don't know. I, I see what we're talking about more as a point of information than necessarily a critique. I think this is a, song. Gri- a gripe that we've had with some songs that yeah. mention liberty and freedom, and yeah. maybe we are taking the opportunity to expand. Upon. Yeah, to make this point, which I think you and I both think is important, but I guess it, it's just one of these one of these things where if because it's not explained and it is very challenging to explain, but as we see in the parts of the song that John Newton wrote, it is possible to. Exp- I mean, it's not easy. But it is possible to explain complex theological truths in few words. It's clearly, it's a real gift to be able to do that. 
Um, but, but that's really what the gift of good worship songwriting is. It's the gift of being able to ex- to boil down these theological and and ecclesiological and and biblical concepts into pithy language. It's not to it's not to necessarily to create emotionally effective worship songs. And I think sometimes that is what some groups in the church really think is effective songwriting is yeah. being able to capture some emotion emotional pithiness rather at the than the expense of well Yes, sometimes at the expense of like theological pithiness. Anyway, boiling it away rather than boiling it down. So we've got three stanzas from John Newton that yeah. are quite clear, quite consistent, quite coherent. Um, with maybe some ambiguities about the nature of the fears that are being uh, relieved and teaching us, but not in a way which is ambiguous to allow any error. Right. Right. They're you know. just different legitimate interpretations of the line. Yeah. Uh, and then we have this insertion by Chris Tomlin that I think does suffer on clarity yeah. in spots. I would say something about the last stanza that Tomlin uses. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow The sun forbear to shine But God We have the earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. The idea of the earth dissolving is a scriptural idea. So we have, for example, Psalm 75. When the earth dissolves, some translations would translate that word as totter, um, and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. That's God speaking. Or uh, Psalm 46, verse 6, one of my favorite psalms, perhaps my favorite psalm. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, or the kingdoms dissolve. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So, and we also have Second Peter verse three, or Second Peter chapter three, verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So, at first glance, it's sort of like what's what's the issue here? Scripture clearly talks about things dissolving. And so why is it a problem to say that the earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine? Um, the issue that I have with this, and again, it's this is a this is not heresy, this is not grievous error or even necessarily heterodoxy. But we also see in scripture that God redeems the earth and he doesn't destroy it. It doesn't get destroyed. And dissolve can have the connotation of destruction. If we look at the context and then the use of this idea of dissolve in the Psalms and in in the passages that I've talked about, it's 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 a metaphor. It's not the scripture is not really saying that that the earth is going to be destroyed. 
like snow. Or even in Psalm 46, it's not when he's when when God says that the that the earth melts or that the kingdoms dissolve or the kingdoms totter. He's not saying that they disappear. But this is language that actually connotates a kind of reforging. Mm. It's language, it's similar to the language that we see in scripture about like God refining the refiner's fire. So it's not a destructive process. Mm. It's a redemptive process. It's a process which takes something that has impurities in it and makes it pure. So I just, I'm really just wanting to clarify what is being, what should be being said in that last stanza. It's not that the earth is going to disappear. It's not that the sun is going to stop shining. Um, It's what's actually going to happen is that the earth is going to be remade. It's going to be redeemed. God is going to redeem the earth and redeem creation. Um, The new heavens and the new earth are not a new invention because the, because, you know, everything is destroyed. It's that what existed will transition through God's redemptive work into something new. That's a subtle distinction, but I think it's important to bring up. It emphasizes the instability of kingdoms with respect to God's These are not permanent things. Right. They will totter. They will crumble. They will melt. Yeah. Um, I wondered with the sun forbearing to shine, if this is a reference to um, scripture where Christ yeah. is the light in the new Jerusalem, that we no longer need the sun mm. to shine because we will have the light of the Lord. Yeah, it could be. So these are not exceptions that I think in any way are terribly troubling. But at the same time, and again, they're not they're not concerning a major doctrine yeah. or anything like that. But but I see your point. If you look at the the entirety of the verse, it actually does seem to imply that the heaven that we'll be in is not on this earth, right? Yeah. The God who called me here below, right? So it, does that imply that I will no longer be here below? Yes. If the earth right. is melted and right. But the but the cl- the clear image that we have of of what will happen is that we will this earth will this earth will be there it will but it will be redeemed and remade like heaven is not going to be an ethereal place in the sky where we're on clouds and and that sort of thing like we will we will be on the earth um but it will be everything will be redeemed everything will be as it should be tyler do you have any other do you have any sort of concluding thoughts about clarity or or about just anything else that you want to say and sum up? Newton's original hymn is a series of well-connected, coherent, at times somewhat ambiguous, um, but generally quite coherent and scripturally sound arguments about the uh, nature of being a Christian and the hope that we have to look forward to its surety the hope we have after our death. And the version that we have from Tomlin uh, maintains a lot of that coherence because it maintains the original words of Newton. It omits some of the relevant verses that give context to some of the references, and it adds in uh, a chorus that is mostly coherent, but with some glaring holes in it. Yeah, mixed metaphor being the 
the worst of the two. So I would say this song is mostly coherent and mostly clear and definitely scriptural. Okay. So when the rubber meets the road, Tyler, is this a song that would be appropriate to be sung in a in a church service? Yes. Okay. Yes, Colin. Despite the fact that you clearly bristle at, you do not like this chorus. I hate the chorus. Yeah. I think if, let me just say, you can do this song, but just do the original. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, what, what do you think, Colin? Yeah, I mean, you, look, I wouldn't do it, but yes, it could be done, like without... I mean, look, doing it in a church service is not going to be a problem. I think there are better songs to do, but that's a personal that's a personal thing. The fact is, on the criteria that we have established to evaluate these songs, it passes through. It has to pass through. Yeah. Even if I personally wouldn't do it, because like you, I just, I just like you, I just think, why, why, why? Why have bread? Why why have white bread when you can have a nice brioche bun toasted with nice butter on it? Because the original is just far superior to this. In what way does your rating reflect what you've just said, Tyler? What did you rate the song? I give this song three out of five destroyed pianos. Yes, <laughs> as a reference to the video, yes, where they have clearly screwed up a very nice piano beautiful piano yeah just so that they could have some it's a prop yeah they've used it as a prop he's clearly in it's either a set which is likely or a uh he's near a tower that is older than the united states of america it's a very old looking tower it looks like a medieval castle colin what Rating, what do you give this song? I also gave this three out of five extra syllables. When Chris Tomlin sings this song, he's like, Grace. Go race. That's right. Yep. He does it a bunch. It, it's just too much. If you have two consonants at the beginning of a syllable, it's called a cluster in the branch of linguistics that deals with uh, syllables. And some languages like these and some languages don't like these. And then some languages change over time by simplifying these clusters. Maybe you'll delete a member of a cluster. So instead of grace, you could say gase or race. You would remove one of the consonants. Okay. And one of the ways you can do this is you can add a vowel in between the two members of the cluster. And there's one guy who does this on the office and it's Jim Halpert when he says Dwight's name. Dwight. He always says Dwight, um, just like Chris Tomlin in this song. Says Garace. Garace. How? Does he say sweet? I think he he says, he does this extra syllable thing a bunch. And I was going to start counting them. And then I just, I, like after listening to the song just a little bit, I was like, okay, it's too many, too many examples. So I think it's actually... Not some, I think it is a product of an aesthetic, but not that he's going for. I think this song, in the same way that the Star Spangled Banner has done this too, from being performed so many times by as a kind of showpiece, as a kind of 
ritual song, it it has accumulated these extra syllables because each each performance tends to grow. Like there there may be a point a thousand years in the future where people sing the Star Spangled Banner or Amazing Grace, but it will actually not even be in English anymore. Like it will just have these lots of these extra little augmentations. And the rock gets a red galare. Yes, a red galare. Like amazing grace. How sweet the uh, sound. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Linguistic Review. (laughs) We thank you so much for your patience. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.